Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. You got to get it done. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? A confident young man. A superb athlete. Intercepted! Intercepted at the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! What the hell's going on out here? To infinity and beyond! Welcome back to the Bleachers, sports fans. If it feels like if I, I've missed a week, well, I did. And, you know, things just got ready and life kind of took over and kind of pushed me out of the way. So, But I'm here now, so come on up, have a seat. Let's talk some sports. Hello fans, I am glad you guys came back. We've got a lot of things to go through today. I don't have a guest, but I do have some good topics I think we're going to all enjoy. I hope you enjoy it. Again, I apologize for missing uh, last week. I do want to announce that normally though, this show is released on a Monday. Uh, I've decided to kind of switch that up a little bit. And uh, I'm going to re- start releasing my episodes on Fridays. Um, I think that's going to be a little bit better yet for the weekend. That way you guys can... Uh, I'm not trying to play catch up and get everything done on the weekend uh, to get something out, so you guys have a, hopefully a little bit better, of a, a little bit better of a show to listen to, if what I'm trying to say. Uh, so what we're going to do today, uh, we're going to look at the NFL playoffs and my efforts at prognostication. We'll talk the ML, MLB, CBA. We'll do a little bit of NCAA basketball, uh, and then just uh, other relevant sports topics as we go along. And at the end of the show, I may have a challenge for some of you people out there if you want to take the plunge. So, without further ado... Round 1. Let's start with the AP Top 25 that was released on Monday. Auburn and Gonzaga just switched places. Uh, they were for, for, they were Gonzaga 1, Auburn 2. Now it's kind of flipped around. Uh, Auburn is number 1, Gonzaga is number 2. Arizona State at number three. Baylor jumped up to number four as Purdue, uh, after the loss to Indiana, dropped back to six. Kansas, after getting a couple of narrow wins over unranked teams, moved from seven to five. UCLA moved from nine to seven. Houston moved from 10 to eight. Duke dropped from six to nine. And Michigan State moves up four spots from 14 to number 10. Uh, Wisconsin dropped from number eight to out of the top 10 at number 11. Other movers were Texas Tech, jumping up from 18th to 13. Tennessee moving to 24 to 18. Providence moved up four spots to number 17. Ohio State moved up from 19 to number 16. UConn moved up five spots, cracking the top 20 at number 20. For those who went down, Iowa State fell eight spots from 15 to 23. LSU, after a pair of costly losses, fell from 13 to 19. And Illinois, after a beatdown from Maryland, fell seven spots from 17 to 24. Marquette joined the top 25 for the first time this season at number 22, and Davidson makes its first appearance in the top 25 as well at number 25. Teams that dropped out of the top 25 were Texas and Loyola. Uh, a one little bit of reminder, I do use the AP top 25 uh, as my benchmark, so... If you're looking at something else, a uh, coach's poll, or you're looking at the 25-1, and one, um, it may have different rankings. Now, to me, Marquette making the top 25 was actually a no-brainer. Um, 
The Golden Eagles are 14 and 6, 6 and 3 in the Big East. And since their four-game skid from December 11th to January 1st, they've won six in a row, including four against top 20 opponents. Number 16, Providence. Number 20, Seton Hall. Number 11, Villanova. And number Villanova. And number 20, Xavier. They also beat number 10, Illinois, uh, back in November. Of their six losses that they do have, four have come from top 25 teams. And one from a top from a team that made the top 25 after they beat Marquette, that one being UConn. In top 25 scores of note this last week, Kansas, number five Kansas, uh, beat number 13 Texas Tech by three in a 94-91 shootout on Monday. Tuesday saw two upsets and one close call as number 24 Illinois upset number 10 Michigan State by one, 56-55. UCLA, number seven UCLA, took down number three Arizona. Number one Auburn barely slipped past Missouri, 55-54. On Wednesday, the new top 25 team Davidson was upset by VCU 70-68. So much for their stay in the top 25. Number 17 Providence did get past Xavier, 65-62. Number 23 Iowa State got past Oklahoma, 84-81. Thursday saw number 15 USC lose to Stanford 61-64. Stanford has now beaten USC, I believe there's a twice so far this regular season. And, um, you know, maybe they've got their number. It, who knows, Stanford might make the top 25 here soon. Uh, number 19 LSU on Saturday was upset by TCU 77-68. I think that was the score. <laughs> I'm, I've lost the score on that one. Uh, Baylor, number four, was upset by Alabama, 87-78. The win is the second top five win and the fourth top 25 win for Alabama. Uh, and they have a February 1st date against Auburn. If they can show and make a good showing there, Alabama might find their way back into the top 25. Number five, Kansas State was upset soundly by Kentucky. At, or excuse me, Kansas on uh, Saturday was upset by Kentucky, um, uh, who was number 12. And it was at Kansas, 80-62, to 62, an 18-point shellacking over of the uh, Kansas Jayhawks. Number 18, Tennessee, was upset by Texas, 52-51. to 51. Also on Saturday, number 24, Illinois, came from behind to slip past Northwestern, 59-56, to 56, to briefly take the Big Ten lead until Wisconsin's win on Sunday, creating a tie, which also now sets up a battle for number one in the Big Ten on February 2nd in Champaign. In NCAA coaching news, Louisville parted away with Coach Chris Mack, mostly surrounding his fallout from the incident regarding the firing of Dino Gaudio. Gaudio tried to extort Mack as he was let go, which led to allegations against Mack and another NCAA inquiry. This is while Louisville was still serving sanctions dating back to former coach Rick Patino. Assistant coach Mike Pegas has been named as the interim coach. Number one, Auburn has given head coach Bruce Pearl eight-year contract extension worth a reported fifty million dollars. That's right, $50 million. Pearl has been the SEC Coach of the Year twice at Auburn, uh, currently has them at a 19-1 mark, 8-0 in SEC play, or SEC play. They are ranked number one for the first time in Auburn history. He's also the reason Auburn is under four years probation. Pearl served a two-game suspension earlier this year relating to the FBI probe that led Auburn firing coach Chuck Persons for accepting bribes. This is also not the first time that Pearl's been in hot water. If everybody recalls, he was in hot water and got fired from Tennessee after bringing the NCAA down on them in 2011 and charging him with unethical conduct. I guess crime does pay. In NCAA football news, Auburn defensive coordinator Derek Mason steps down, the former Vanderbilt head coach from 2014 to 2020, only served one year as the defensive coordinator for Brian Harson's team. Uh, assistant head coach and linebacker coach Jeff Schmedling has been promoted to the defensive coordinator position. Tigers finished ninth in total defense, 327.7 yards per game, fifth in scoring defense at 21.8 points per game, and fourth in yards per play at 5.27. This comes after Harson fired offensive coordinator Mike Bobo after the four overtime loss to Alabama. Both Bobo and Mason were hired last year. Now, with ex-Seattle quarterback coach Austin Davis in charge of the offense and with Schmedling in charge of the defense, Auburn has two first-time coordinators and with only one year of SEC experience between them, and that would be with uh, Schmedling. This is a bold move for Harson. 
Auburn fans are used to being in the mix of things in the SEC. While they might put up with one down year, I doubt they will put up with back-to-back years. In more NCAA news, the NCAA altered its transgender policy on Wednesday, January 20th. Effective immediately, the policy now calls for transgender calls for transgender participation will be determined on a sport-by-sport basis in, in accordance with that sport's national governing body. According to the NCAA, the policy is to subject to ongoing review and recommendations by the NCAA Committee on Competitive Safeguards and Medical Aspects of Sports to the Board of Governors. That is a long title. <laughs> they must get paid by the word. Now, if a particular sport does not have a national governing body, then they will refer that to the sport's international federation policy. If there's no international federation, then international Olympic committee policy and criteria will be used. The new requirements will include immediately student athletes must present testosterone levels to officials four weeks prior to championship selection for any sport. Then, beginning on the 20, in the 2022-2023 season, student-athletes will need to present documented levels of testosterone at the start and six months into their respective seasons. Chairman of the board and Georgetown president, John DeGoya, said of the changes that it is the fostering of fairness across the college sports. He also said it's important that the NCAA member schools, conferences, and college athletes competing in an inclusive, fair, safe, and respectful environment and can move forward with clear understanding of the new policy. Okay, I do think this is a good first step because there is a lot of issues going on with transgender athletes, and I think it's something that can be adjusted as things move forward. So let's just see how this all plays out, shall we? All right, a little shameless plug here, folks. Get over to gatewaycitysports.com and check it out. We have articles from our team of writers and contributors who try to bring you the best coverage of the St. Louis Bi-State area, the Cardinals, the Blues, the Battlehawks, as well as college sports. Like we say, if there is something we don't cover, let us know. We'll see what we can do to bring it to you. Also, take a look at our podcast, or listen, I should say, to our podcast, like this one, or Two for Three, Team of Rivals, Yacker Jacks, The Derek King Sports Show. Give us a look-see, see what you like. And let us know what you think. And now... Round 2. NHL All-Star Game. The NHL has announced the 2022 NHL All-Star Last Man In on Tuesday, completing its four divisional rosters that were released last Thursday. The Last Man In voted were Center Steven Samkos of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Center Nazim Kadri of the Colorado Avalanche, Center Micah Zibanjad, and I'm going to butcher these names, folks. I'm just going to tell you that right now, of the New York Rangers, and right winger Troy Terry of the Anaheim Ducks. So John Bad will miss the All-Star game, and his spot on the Metropolitan Squad roster will be taken by right winger Jake Guntzel of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Divisional captains were also declared by the, or decided, I should say, by the NHL All-Star fan vote. Center Austin Matthews from the Maple Leafs will be the Atlantic captain. Center Nathan McKinnon from the Colorado Avalanche for the Central. Left-winger Alex Ovechkin from the Washington Capitals for the Metropolitan. And center Connor McDavid of the Edmonton Oilers for the Pacific. The divisional coaches are Andrew Brunette of the Florida Panthers, Jared Bednar of the Colorado Avalanche, Rod Brindamore of the Colorado Hurricanes, Carolina Hurricanes, excuse me, and Peter DeBoer of the Las Vegas Golden Knights. The divisional teams stack up this way. In the Atlantic Division, forward Jake Batherson of Ottawa, Patrice Bergeron of Boston, Jonathan Huberdu of the Florida Panthers, and again, folks, I apologize for these names. I'm just not that good at them. Uh, forward Dylan Larkin of Detroit, forward Austin Matthews of Toronto, forward Nick Suzuki of Montreal, defenseman Rasmus Dahlin of Buffalo, defenseman Victor Hedman of Tampa Bay, goalie Jack Campbell of Toronto, goalie Andre Vasilinski of Tampa Bay, and center Steven Samkos of Tampa Bay. The central division is Kyle Connor of Winnipeg, forward, forward Alex Debrincat of Chicago, Forward Kirill Kapazov of Minnesota. Forward Clayton Keller of Arizona. 
forward Jordan Cairo of the St. Louis Blues, forward Nathan McKinnon of Colorado, forward Joe Pavleski of Dallas, defenseman Kale McCarr of Colorado, goalie Husas Jose Sarios of Nashville, Cam Talbot of Minnesota, and center Nazim Kadri of Colorado. In the Metropolitan Division, forward Sebastian Ajo of Carolina, forward Claude Giraud of Philadelphia, forward Jack Hughes of the New Jersey Devils, forward Chris Kreider of New York, forward Alex Ovechkin of Washington, defenseman Adam Fox from the New York Rangers, defenseman Adam Pelich of the New York Islanders, defenseman Zach Werninski of Columbus, goalies Frederick Anderson of Carolina and Tristan Jerry of Pittsburgh, and right winger Jake Gunsell of Pittsburgh. The Pacific Division stacks up. Forward Leon Drissettle of Edmonton. Forward Jordan Eberle of Seattle. Forward Johnny Gaudreau of Calgary. Forward Adrian Kemp of Los Angeles. Forward Connor McDavid of Edmonton. Forward Timo Meyer, San Jose. Forward Mark Stone, Las Vegas. Defenseman Alec Petrangelo, or Alex Petrangelo of Las Vegas. Goalie Thatcher Demko of Vancouver. Goalie John Gibson of Anaheim. Right winger Troy Terry of Anaheim. The NHL All-Star Game is February 5th in Las Vegas. In golf, Saturday, Luke List finished his round some two hours ahead of all the other leaders at the Farmers Insurance Group Open, coming from five-stroke back and then actually winning the tour stop with a birdie on the first playoff hole. It would be List's first tour win in 206 starts. He started the day five strokes behind the leaders, as I said, Will Zalatoris and Jason Day. He made seven consecutive birdies and shot a 666 to put himself in position. After Zalatoris missed an eight-foot birdie putt, which would have given him his first tour win, the playoff was on. Both men put their tee shots into the bunker but got out of trouble. Then List hit a wedge 131 feet, put the, putting the ball within one foot of the cup. Zalatoris was last year's Rookie of the Year and the Masters runner-up list, who is from Augusta, Georgia, will now have a player's pass this year when the Masters comes to town. On Sunday in the DP World Tour, Victor Hovland started outside the top 10, but when went out in 32 and finished with a 66 to force a playoff against Richard Bland. Both men would have to would have a putt for birdie. Hovland would convert and Bland would not. The win was the sixth and in just 74 official World Golf Ranking events for Howell Hovland. In a golf slash NCAA slash NBA news item, J.R. Smith, former NBA guard, who is now a collegiate golfer at North Carolina A&T. Smith is 36 and in the second semester of his freshman year. He has signed an NIL, name, image, and licensing agreement, with XL Sports. Now, under NIL rules, Smith can't promote his sponsors at NCAA-sanctioned events. He can, however, appear in commercials and make references to his affiliation on social media. Smith, who last played uh, played in the NBA in 2020 with the Lakers, has still not officially retired from the NBA. In a quick bit of Olympic news, the... Uh, Beijing Olympics announced for the first time there will be in 24 years that Jamaica will have a bobsled team. The Jamaica team qualified for the four-man bobsled, the two-man bobsled, as well as the woman's monobob. Okay, we're going to take a break here right back after this from the Sean Wiley Group. Hello, this is Don Glenn from Gateway City Sports. We all know how important it is to stay protected. Sometimes life throws you a curve, and that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and so much more. They offer a customized approach that's unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings. Give Sean and his team a call today at 636-764-6294. They'll help you out with an insurance quote right over the phone. Even give them a call if you just want to talk sports. They do that too. We all have busy lives, so you can email Sean at seanwiley at allstate.com and talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. 
And we are back, and it is time for... Round 3. The NFL Playoffs. After the divisional games like last week, the conference playoffs were set up. I went 2-4 on my predictions, missing both games on Saturday. I had Tennessee winning by 14 and Green Bay winning by 15. Now, I was better on Sunday. I did have the Rams by 6. They won by 7. And the Chiefs by 3. They won by 6. In the first game on Saturday, I thought Derrick Henry would be the difference maker. But evidently, the Big Cats had more to show than just ending their 31-year playoff drought as this was the first time in franchise history they've won a playoff game on the road. 1981-1988, when they made it to the Super Bowl, they played all their games at home. After the game, Cincinnati quarterback Joe Burrow said, We're here to make some noise, and teams are going to have to pay attention to us. The Bengals' defense picked off Titan quarterback Ryan Tannehill three times, twice it set up field goals by rookie kicker Evan McPherson, including the game winner from 52 yards out with time expiring. When talking about his young kicker who had four field goals for the day, head coach Zach Taylor said he's got ice in his veins. There's not much more to say. He's as cool as it gets. About his winning kick, McPherson said that's a kicker's dream, to have some to have the game on your shoulders. Joe Burrow was sacked nine times by the Tennessee defense. That tied an NFL postseason mark for most sacks in a game. He did manage to throw for 348 yards, though. No TDs and one pick. Joe Mixon got the Bengals' lone TD on the 16-yard run in the third quarter. Derrick Henry's return, in Derrick Henry's return, he had 62 yards on 20 carries and one touchdown. Tannehill threw for 220 yards in a TD to A.J. Brown, who had five catches on nine targets for 145 yards. It was a back-and-forth game with the Bengals striking in the first quarter on a pair of McPherson field goals. Tennessee tied it on a Henry three-yard three yard run, but failed on the two-point conversion. Since he would take the lead at the half on McPherson's third field goal of the day in third quarters, the Bengals would add to the lead on Mixon's TD with five minutes to go in third. It was all Tennessee as they took the ball on the 28th and spent 54 yards, seven plays to set up a field goal by kicker Randy Bullock. Then on Cincy's first play after receiving the kick, Burrow was intercepted at the 40 by Amani Hooker, who took it to the Bengal 27. Two plays later, Tannehill hooked up with A.J. Brown with 15 seconds to go for the third. In the fourth quarter, was a trade of possessions until 28 seconds left. Logan Wilson intercepted Tannehill at the 40-yard line. After a pass to Jamar Chase to get the ball to the Tennessee 34, two running plays amounting to no yards, McPherson would enter the game for the winning field goal, his fourth in the game. Green Bay was at home versus the 49ers. The Packers took the opening kickoff, marched down the field, 69 yards, 10 plays, ending with an A.J. Dillon going up the north for six yards in the touchdown. At this point, it looked like it would be a runaway. But a stiff San Francisco defense and two very costly special team mistakes, one which ended in a touchdown for San Francisco, all culminated in what in the last-second field goal by Robbie Gould to upset the number-one seed Packers. After the opening drive, the Packers could never get untracked. A fumble on their second drive and three straight punts. The half ended on a block Mason Crosby field goal attempt. The 49ers opened the second half with a field goal. The Packers would answer early in the fourth quarter with a field goal with 4.50 left in the game. Jordan Willis then would block a Green Bay punt. Talanoa Hufanga would scoop it up and ramble six yards into the end zone for the touchdown, tying the game at 10. After a quick three and out, San Francisco took nine plays to go 44 yards to the Green Bay 27, where Gold nailed the 45-yard field goal for the win with time expiring. Rodgers was 20 of 29 for 225 yards, but no touchdowns. The passing game revolved around mostly two receivers, Aaron Jones, 10 targets, 9 receptions, 129 yards, and Devontae Adams, 11 targets, 9 receptions for 90 yards. The Packer running game was ineffective other than Dillon's one touchdown. Jones and Dillon combined for only 66 yards. San Francisco's Elijah Mitchell gained 53 yards on 17 carries. Debo Samuel had 39 yards rushing, and 59 yards in returns, including a 45-yard return that set the 49ers' field, goals at the field goal at the start of the second half. In the uh, Rams-Buccaneers game on Sunday, the Rams took an early 10-0 lead in the first quarter. Tampa would get on the board near the end of the first quarter with a 45-yard field goal to make it 10-3. L.A. would then open the second period with a touch, touchdown, giving them a 14-point lead. They would add a field goal with 2.23 left and a half to make it 17-point lead. 
In the second half, the Rams would strike first in the third quarter in a one-yard run by Matt Stafford, giving them a 24-point lead. Tampa followed that with a field goal with 3.06 to go in the third. A Rams fumble by Connor Cup on the next possession and a 10-yard return by Sean Murphy Bunting gave Brady and the Bucks offense the ball at the LA 30. The Bucks would ultimately get a one-yard touchdown run from Leonard Fournette with 16 seconds to go to cut the lead to 14 with one quarter to go. And in the fourth quarter, the Rams went three and out. Then the Rams' Von Miller would sack Brady and force a fumble and recover it himself. On the very next play, that, however, center Brian Allen would fumble the the hand to snap, and uh, it would be recovered by Jason Pierre-Paul of the Buccaneers. They just kind of traded fumbles. You take it, I'll take it. A little hot potato action going on there. Uh, the Bucks would give it up on downs, and the Rams would go 49 yards, but Matt Gay would miss a 47-yard field goal attempt. After trading possessions, Tampa would start from their own 23, then go 77 yards, with one uh, with the last play being a 55-yard touchdown to Mike Evans for the touchdown with 3:27 left on the clock. Two plays after the kickoff, the Rams would fumble again, this time on their own 23 by Clay Akers, with 2.32 left in the game. The ball would be recovered at the Rams' 30. The Bucks ran some time off before Leonard Fournette went off to the left end and ran for a 9-yard touchdown run. The Rams got the ball back with 42 seconds left. Four plays later, they were on the Tampa Bay 12 with four seconds left. Gay would bang home the winning field goal as time expired. Bills versus the Chiefs. This second game on Sunday I thought was going to be the tight one, and it was a very good ball game. Um, but two outstanding young quarterbacks showing their wares in Josh Allen and uh, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Allen was 27-34 to 34 with four touchdowns, uh, 340 yards I think it was. Uh, he also carried the ball 11 times, 68 yards. Pat Mahomes, 33-44 for 370 yards and three touchdowns. He also ran for a touchdown with seven carries on six or 69 yards on seven carries. Both quarterbacks were the leading rushers for their respective teams. Uh, however, Clyde Edwards Hilari would add 60 yards on seven carries for the Chiefs to give them somewhat of a better running attack. The main recipient of Allen's connection was 22-year-old wideout Gabriel Davis in his second season. He caught eight passes for 201 yards and all four of Allen's touchdowns. The Chiefs' dual threat of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey came through as frequent targets for Mahomes. 11 catches and 150 yards with a touchdown for Hill. Kelsey uh, had eight receptions, 96 yards, and a touchdown. The Chiefs took a small lead in the third quarter, getting a field goal and a touchdown, but missing the extra point, which would prove costly. Buffalo would pull within two with a TD of their own. In the fourth, the, Chief, in the, fourth, the Chiefs extended their lead with a 28-yard field goal. At the two-minute mark of regulation, Allen and Davis connected for the 27-yard field goal, 20, excuse me, 27-yard touchdown, <laughs> and a uh, two-point conversion on Allen to St- Stefan Diggs, putting the Bills up by three. The Chiefs would get the ball back with a minute and 50 left. They go 75 yards in 52 seconds, capping it off with a Mahomes-to-Hill 64-yard pass. The extra point put the Chiefs up by four with a minute two left on the clock. Allen went to work hitting Davis three times for 59 yards, including a 19-yard touchdown run with 13 seconds to go. The Chiefs took over, one pass to Hill for 19 yards, another to Kelsey for 25, put Casey in the field goal range for Harrison Butker, who drilled it from 49 yards, tying the game in regulation. Now, in overtime, the Chiefs would win the toss, which would prove to be the what decided the game. They would drive 75 yards, eight plays. It was a Mahomes to Kelsey, eight-yard touchdown pass for the win. Um, some people come out and, and question, me my me being one, the NFL's overtime sudden death rule. If you get the ball first and you score, that's great. I, I, I you know, more power to you. But why doesn't the other team get their opportunity to show what their offense can do? I mean, I don't think this. I mean, I don't think that it's it's really a a. I don't want to say fair because people get upset with that word. Uh, but I, I just don't think it's it's a an appropriate way to end a game on, on a sudden death um, without giving both teams a shot. I think one thing I would probably do, uh, at least in the playoffs, maybe for next year, is overtime games. Um, be given a 10-minute overtime period, and then you can play sudden death after that. Um, 
you know, maybe do it something like the uh, NCAA does with uh, start the ball at the 25. Each team gets four plays from the 25 or something like that. Uh, I just don't necessarily care for a sudden death rule. Um, but, you know, that is what it is. And flip of the coin decided that game. Now, for my predictions, uh, the sad, like I said, uh, I and I know this is being taped after the games have been played, but I did make these predictions prior to the games. Um, and, uh, you know, again, teams didn't listen to me this time because uh, I thought the Cincinnati could give Kansas City a good game and might even make it close. But I thought Kansas City had just too many weapons uh, for Cincinnati, and I was picking the Chiefs by 10. Uh, the Bengals didn't quite listen to me as they win the game 27-24 in overtime. Um, in the other game, um, it was the same scenario. I think the 49ers were, would, were able to stay, well, they, I thought they would be able to stay close, and they did. Uh, kind of pushing the Rams a little bit, I think, the and the Rams win by three. Um, I, had the, I had the Rams by six. So, um, so that sets up the Super Bowl of Cincinnati Bengals versus Los Angeles Rams in the LA Coliseum. I'm not real, you know, good. I don't have really good feelings about that, but you know, it's it, it's the luck of the draw. I mean, it could have easily ended up in anywhere else. So, um, I think in this game, I think, uh, and again, you're looking at Joe Burrows, a fine young quarterback who I think is uh, due to make his mark in this league. Um, and then the, their field goal kicker, um, McPherson, 12 for 12 on field goals. He's nailed all his extra points, and he's kicked three field goals past the 51-yard 50, mark. So Cincinnati is not going to be a team that's going to lay down and play dead for for L.A. Now, by the same token, L.A. has got a pretty decent attack. Uh, Stafford is playing well. Cup is is um, a very good receiver. Um, I think what might tip the game will be defense. Um, the Rams' defense has proven to be very very tough. Uh, very good uh, getting to the quarterback. And I think that'll probably be the deciding point in the game. And I'm going to take the Rams by four. So for those of you in St. Louis who do not like the Rams, do not shoot the messenger. That's just what I think. And, you know, maybe I'll be wrong and you'll get some vindication. <laughs> hey, uh, let's take a break for uh, Fifth Street Motors and we'll be right back. Hey, Don Glenn here for 5th Street Motors. We all know buying a vehicle can be stressful, but it doesn't have to be. 5th Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, will help you find the vehicle you need no matter what brand. 5th Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. Give Brandon or Don a call today at 573-259-1306 and tell them Gateway City Sports sent you. And now we're ready for final round four. The MLB. Oh, yes, Major League Baseball. Isn't it just lovely to have the teams out trying to get free agent? Oh, they're not, are they? They're still negotiating a dadgum CBA. All right. As we know, there have been no actual deals and few negotiations. Um, between the Baseball Players Association and Major League Baseball itself. And fans are wondering if there's deadlines will even be for a season. I mean, what deadlines do they have, I should say, to, to make sure that we do have a season? And at some point, yes, there will be an agreement, but that timeline is anybody's guess right now. Uh, pitchers and catchers are to report February 17th and 18th with full teams reporting by the 22nd and 23rd. So the season's not lost yet, folks. But time is getting real short here, okay? Teams have to start thinking about uh, completing off-season moves, signing free agents, making trades, um, taking care of arbitration deals, arranging housing for spring training, getting visas ready for their foreign players, getting facilities ready, uh, which they can do that without the CBA being signed. 
But quite frankly, time's getting short here. I mean, you know, let's face it. We are now December, excuse me, January 30th. You know, this is a full almost 60 days now since the lockout started. And we're still quibbling about this and that. And from what the looks I've seen, there's still miles to go. Um, we haven't seen, okay, now all this, like I said, does not include what teams are going to have to do as far as their own minor league systems, which they can do that, with again, without a CBA agreement. But um, they can't bring up some of those players, so they don't know where to house some of those players. You can't sit there and say, we're going to house this guy here, here, and here, when they can't actually do that without a CBA being signed. So this is really getting bad. And as far as free agents go, yes, it's it's not that uncommon to sign free agents in spring training. But I'm going to ask Cardinal fans right now, do you remember Greg Holland in 2018? Signed on the last day of spring training. And it turned out to be an unmitigated disaster. Until in 2020, they were able to get together a shortened season, uh, three-week spring training, and they had unusual circumstances. Both sides came together and got things done. We don't have that here. Right now, we've got animosity. Right now, we've got thing, people that aren't talking to each other because they don't agree with each other. And that's stupid. Okay, I think the lockout was stupid to begin with. Again, Manfred, if anybody, if anybody is listening that... Has, knows anybody in Major League Baseball front offices or the Players Association Executive Committee, please do me a favor and tell them to quit being stupid. Get this done, deal with it, or you're going to lose fans. You lose fans, you lose money. You lose money, you don't have nothing. If you guys are businessmen, I'm speaking to the owners now, if you guys are businessmen, get your shit in order. You have wasted too much time trying to play chicken. And all you're doing is making more and more enemies of more and more fans. Do you really want that? Is that what you're trying to do? Because, they, you know, if, you, if that's what you're trying to do, keep doing it. Now, some people have shot out that February 1st, as a normal timeline for spring training, to get everything ready to go and visas and all that. And it can be done. You'll have about two weeks if they get it done by the 1st of February, a deal signed. They would have about two weeks to get all their ducks in a row to get players into camp. Now, you wrap up the season uh, or the off season, you get into the spring training and start March 31st with the games. But I think February 8th could even work for a normal spring training because you know, most of these teams, they've, they've done these foreign visa things enough. They've got enough people in place that to, for, to get the housing and, and things of that nature. The only real thing you got to worry about is just making sure the players get into camp. And I still think at that point, you've got 10 days, 9 to 10 days, you can, you can probably still get it done. Uh, but I don't think you can go any further past that and think there's going to be any kind of a normal spring training. Um... You know, free agents arbitration again. As we say, it 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 they've happened in in uh, spring training before, so that's really not a big deal. Both grapefruit and cactus leagues are supposed to start on February 26th. Uh, pitchers would still need at least a week to get ready. So if you don't start to if you don't start spring training until say the 17th, when they're supposed to report. Uh, and the deal doesn't get done to like the 17th when they're supposed to report. You got a few days extra. Uh, you figure they get him in by the 23rd. By the 26th, you you would have to delay the start of the season. So, you know, the, the position players don't need more than a couple days to get the rust knocked off and get themselves ready for practice and the managers to have some kind of a opening spring training lineup, uh, which usually is... Okay, go out and play a couple innings. You can play a couple innings. You can play a couple innings. It's more for just getting the thing started than it is for trying to find out who's actually going to play. Uh, now, arguments for sake, let's say they get a deal done by February 11th. Okay, now that gives them six days to get pitchers and catchers into camp. Okay, that's doable. There may be a couple of visas that might have some issues, but it's doable to get them in. 
So you figure the teams need about 10 days before pitchers and catchers report to camp. So now you're at February 21st. Shorten that time frame for pitchers to seven days, and you can bring in position players early. So nothing says they have to wait to work out. You can bring in position players with the um, pitchers if you want to. They don't have to wait seven to ten days before they can come into camp. So you can bring them in all at once, which would also shorten some timelines. You're shortening the spring training only by a couple games, so you get the game started, say, February 31st instead of the 26th. You still get a pretty good, decent amount of games in, and you're not flirting with any problems. After, say, that date, after, say, the 31st of February, if you're not playing ball games, spring training games by then, now you've got to look at a shortened spring training or go through a full spring training and you're looking at at uh, loss of uh, regular season, which I don't think they would do it that way. I think they would shorten the spring training first. Uh, that's still some lost revenue. It's not nearly as bad as losing revenue for regular season games. Now, the problem is it's not just the teams that are going to have these issues. If this thing lasts on and say we miss a dozen spring training games or 20 or you know, uh, worst case scenario, spring training doesn't start until March 1st uh, or April, um, something like that. Now you're not talking just the teams losing money or the players losing money. Now you're talking those cities. We're talking about the, the cities in Florida that are going to lose tourism dollars, hotel dollars. So, Again, like I said, Major League Baseball and the Players Union have got to wake up and understand there's more than those than just those two bodies to worry about. You've got to worry about cities. You've got to worry about fans. You've got to worry about the employees at the stadiums in spring training as well. Granted, they're probably part time and they don't play that and they don't be there. They're not there that often uh, until the minor leagues kick in, and the minor leagues will play this year. That's not going to be an issue. But there's this more and more of you. The more you look into this, the more that there is an issue with who's being affected by a lockout, by a strike, whatever the case may end up being. Um, so, again, like I said, they really got to get themselves in order. Now, anything after March 1st, it's going to impact the season. If they don't start spring training until March 8th, let's say, that gives them 23 days, okay? Um and again, if you're talking, that's when pitchers and catchers report, let's say March 1st, that pitchers and catchers report. Okay, now we are talking, you're not going to have games in spring training until the middle of March, which is only going to be a two-week spring training. And I doubt you are going to want to push though that type or that few games as a precursor to the season. So you're going to have to back the season up at least a week, maybe two. Now, the question is, do those games become lost or do those games become doubleheaders down the road? This is something that they, that baseball is going to have to figure out. They've got to start worrying about this because it is really just that critical at this point. If they don't have the, the, the ideas in place and from the sounds of the negotiations, I don't think they do. I don't think Major League Baseball is worried. And the problem is they should be. They are not worried, but they should be worried as hell because they're, you know, this is, I think both sides actually have gone in, gone all in on a bluff that they don't have the cards to back up. I mean, there's been some progress made here and there. Um, Major League Baseball has agreed to a bonus pool of money for pre-arbitration players. Hey, great. We've got pre-arbitration players who are going to have a bonus money if they're in the top 30 of war. Problem is, they've only allocated $10 million. Now, I say only allocated $10 million. Major League Baseball Players Association wants that figure at $105 million. So you can see where the differences lie. Baseball, uh, Major League Baseball has also agreed to raise the league minimum from five hundred and seventy to 615000 for guys... Uh, in the first year, with only one year, their previous offer was six hundred thousand. The union is demanding seven hundred and seventy-five thousand. And again, even going into the second and third year, Major League Baseball is only offering a, uh, a minimum of seven hundred thousand dollars for players with two to three years of service time. 
Again, we are miles off here, folks. This is not progress. This is just, this is a game of chicken. And they can't be playing this game. They really, really can't. Uh, so both sides have a lot of ground to cover. Hopefully we get some good news this week and we can end up having somewhat of a normal spring training. And let's just keep our fingers crossed. But I'm telling you right now, folks, it's not looking pretty. In Major League Baseball Hall of Fame news, let's get to some other stuff. David Ortiz was selected to the Baseball Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, Sammy Sosa did not make the Hall of Fame. And now, because of a rule change back in 2014, they are off the ballot. Uh, of note to St. Louis fans, former Cardinals third baseman Scott Rowland received 63.2% of the vote. Um, and he is available. He's eligible, I think, for two more years, if I remember right. Uh, in 2014, the rule for eligibility was changed. The old eligibility requirement was being on the ballot for 15 years as long as you maintained at least 5% of the vote. Well, 2014, that limit was changed to 10 years. Uh, people are saying that was to uh, punish the steroid air players like Bonds, Clemens, McGuire, Sosa, people like that. That debate's for another day, and I'm not going to get into it here. But congratulations to David Ortiz. In, a, in other news, Mike Schilt, his name's in the news again. He's been named player as a player development advisor to the San Diego Padres. I know that just makes uh, Ron Nuttall cringe when he hears that. Uh, reports are he will retain his job with MLB, but he was also be a consultant for San Diego. Now, Schilt joins an advisory staff that includes names like Moises Alou, Ian Kinsler, Trevor Hoffman, and Ron, cover your ears, former Cardinal Alan Craig. Now, for a couple of announcements. Normally, I make my post after the weekend, and like I said, I'm going to shift to a Thursday or Friday, so uh, that should start... I'm going to hopefully get that started this week, uh, so expect the next post to be coming out on Friday. It's going to be a sh probably be a short show, uh, but it will have something out there. Uh, now for announcement number two, and this could be some fun. Here at Gateway City Sports, we like to say we are a site run by fans for the fan. So this show is going to put the money where the microphone is. Do you want to be part of this show? I've got a way for you to do that. I'm planning a fans forum show. Now, I'm going to try and do this somewhere around March. I'm not exactly sure of the date. i got to figure the NCAA tournament. I do want to get um, Russ uh, Robinson on for the NCAA tournament preview. Um, I think that's going to be a fun, fun show. Uh, might even see if I can get Papa Swope in on that one. Um, but here's how you can be a part of this. You send in specific questions. It can be on any sports topic. Any sports topic. You want a question about track and field? Submit a question about track and field. I may not be able to answer it, but we will get to as many questions as you guys can send in. And you can send in multiple questions. If you got two or three questions, send them in. Now, the questions will be submitted through my email address. So submit it to you have questions, and this is going to be for again for a March show. So you can you've got time to get these questions in. They don't have to be in any certain deadline. I'll I'll have a deadline probably in a couple weeks. I'll have an actual deadline for this, but uh, you can email them to me at my email address, which is b o r t a s two zero zero two at yahoo.com or you can send them via Twitter to at Big D underscore GCS or the show's Twitter account at TSOTB dot GCS. You can also, wherever this show is posted, I know I post this on a bunch of Facebook sites. If you uh, are getting this post or this uh, podcast uh, from one of those Facebook posts, put it in the comments section. Put your question in the comments section. Like I said, I will do everything I can to get to all questions. And here's the second part of this. Also, the first three fans that email me a request. Now, this is for this is a different thing here. This is not a question. This is not for questions. 
If you want to be part of the show, be on the show, then the first three fans that email me at my Bortas, B-O-R-T-A-S, 2002, at Yahoo.com account, the first three fans will get to be, I, I will get them on the show with me to help answer those questions. So we're gonna, it's going to be a fans form. The question is going to be from, from fans, answered by fans. So to make it fair, members of the Gateway City Sports crew will be prohibited from entering the show portion of the contest. Now, they can submit questions if they wish, and we will go from there. I may not answer those questions, but, you know, depends on what they ask. Um, so, anyway, so remember that. Um, if you want to be, if you have a question, you can email to Bortos2002 at yahoo.com or Twitter at Big D underscore GCS or at TSOTB dot GCS uh, or comment on whatever Facebook page you find this podcast on. If you're listening, if you go to Spotify and find it, then you can use one of the other accounts. Um, so anyway, uh, I'll be repeating this uh, contest uh, rules and stuff here over the next two or three podcasts. And like I said, some me sometime in March. Uh, I may try to do it the first week or I may try and do it after the NCAA special. Uh, but it's going to be probably in March when we do this. So uh, hopefully we're going to get a lot of questions. Hopefully I'll have at least three people that want to be on with me. Um, maybe just because you don't want to hear me talk that much. So that's fine too. I don't, you know. I'm good with that. So anyway, that's going to do it for me, folks. So I'm going to back out of here now and work on the next episode. So until next week, so long for now. Thanks again for joining us. And you have been listening to Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Here's hoping you have a great sports day.